Good morning, Westlight. Um, I'm Lori, and I'm one of the pastors here. And why don't we open up uh, with a word of prayer? Gracious God, we thank you so much for, um, for how you love us. Even when you see, like, the worst in us, you still love us. And I thank you that you pursue us, that you hunger for us just as we hunger for you, even more so, and that you draw us closer to you. And so I pray, Lord, that you would um, just really move this morning, that you would um, help me to get out of the way and help you to just speak your word, <clears throat> because we want to meet with you and we want to see you this morning. In your son's name we pray, amen. Okay, this is the last sermon in our Killing It series. If you missed the first two, be sure to go on our website and listen to them. The last three or two weeks, we've been talking about pride. <laughs> That's why maybe it's quiet today. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so about 25 years ago, I know you think <laughs> I was little, but I was at family camp, and family camp happens um, once a year. Our conference puts on a big camp. Um every summer, and one of my friends, I think she wanted a friend, it's not because I could sing, she's like, hey, you want to sing on the worship team with me? And I was like, okay, I didn't know any better, and so we sang on the worship team together, and, and what we do at camp, it's a lot like this, like we have one of these in the morning, and one of these in the evening, and one of these in the morning, and it goes on all week, right? And so we're sitting, we're singing on the worship team, and she's like, let's sit in front, because we have to, you know, after the sermon or the message is over, we got to go back up, right? So she and I were sitting in the front, and this speaker is like, you know, yeah, da, 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 and he's like, at the end of his message, he's like, if you or someone in your family has dealt with addiction, you need to stand, stand up. And, she, you know, this is how we became good friends is because we had this commonality. So we look at each other. And you got to understand, I am so, I would never stand up. In fact, when people say stand up, there's something inside of me that says, sit down. Don't stand up. Don't stand up. Right? And so I'm like, I'm not going to stand up. I never stand up. I barely want to know what my issues are. Why would I want everybody in the room to know my issues? Right? And so I'm like, oh. And so, but he's like, you know, but if you, if this is you, you need to stand up. And we looked at each other, and we're like, we have to stand up. This is like the foundation of our friendship. And so we locked arms, and we stood up. And we didn't look back. We might have been the only ones standing up. We're just like, oh, you know. And so that happened Monday night. And we're like, man, that was so hard. I, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do it without you. And that was so hard. Like, we stood in front of everybody. We're in the front row. Okay, and then Tuesday night, we're like, we're never doing that again. Tuesday night, if you've been dealing with this issue, stand up. And we're like, what? Okay, so we kind of pull each other up. And we're like, what's going on here, you know? And then Wednesday, thank you, Jesus, it was all family camp night. So another speaker was speaking. Then Thursday night, we're like, we are not standing up. Or at least, can we sit to the side? No, we're like, we're not standing up. Thursday night. And I think the speaker does this so he can reach everybody. You know, he's not just talking to one audience. But no, Thursday night. If you've been dealing with this, you need to stand up. I was like, what? I just knew in my heart we needed to stand up. So this time we're, we're arm in arm. We're like holding each other. Like we stood up. And we're like, oh, we can't take it anymore. This is so embarrassing. Then Friday, we're like, for sure, we are not standing up. It's Friday. We did it Monday, Tuesday. People are thinking he paid us to do this, right? There's no way. Friday, he's like, if you, if God has been speaking to you this week about something, <laughs> and you want prayer, 
You need to stand up. And we're like, oh, okay. I knew in my heart that God was like, you need to stand up and ask for help. So I stood up. And I was like, wait, wait, you're sitting down? No. <laughs> so I stood up alone, and this wonderful woman, she is just wonderful, the sweetest. I don't know her name, but she walked up smile. She put her hand on my shoulder. She looked at my name and said, how can I pray for you, Lori? And I said, my pride. And she said, oh, that's a biggie. (laughs) I was like, but it is, right? It's a biggie, right? We all have experienced the effects of pride. We know what it's like when, you know, our significant other or our girlfriend or our boyfriend or our parents, when they, like, shift the blame on other people, especially yourself, when they don't take responsibility and admit that they're wrong. We know the effects of pride when our coworker has this, like, inflated view of himself and thinks he's more important than he really is or he thinks he's better than others or that person in your life group, there's always like one or two people in your life group that talk a lot and you're like, you know, you share their things and then they just give you all these answers and solutions to the problem and you're like, ah, you know, those are the effects of pride. And it's also hard, you know, it's so hard to see the pride within ourselves, right? We can't, it's like almost impossible to see the pride in ourselves, the way that we're perfectionistic, the way that we don't, you know, want others to know that we make mistakes, the way we don't want to ask for help. Or the way we're, we're consumed with how other people, what they think of us. Or, you know, when we beat ourselves up and when we have to forgive someone else. And even when we have to forgive ourselves. Like, those are the effects of pride. And this whole, the last two weeks and today, we're, we've been talking about how pride, our pride, it shuts us in. And it shuts God out. And it shuts others out. Our pride shuts us in, and it shuts God and others out. And if we don't kill the pride inside of us, then eventually pride will kill us. And so how do we do it? Kotz talked the first week about how we need to be humble. And how do we take on that humility of Christ? And then last week he talked about how we need to worship God and recognize who he is, and he is the giver of everything. But how do we get there? How do we kill our pride and get to those places? And it's a process. And I thought the best example that we can find in Scripture is in John 3, where we see Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. He was a leader of the Pharisees. He was, um, you know, uh, John tells us that he came to Jesus at night. We don't know why he came to Jesus at night, but he recognized who Jesus was. He believed in what Jesus was. He knew that he was from God. And so we're going to look at him. And, and so he came to him at night, and I can imagine that it's dark in the room, and they're sitting by the candlelight, and they're engaging in like this deep conversation. And I love how Jesus makes time for Nicodemus. He's not like, oh, you're a Pharisee, you're prideful, you know. I don't got time for you to slam the door. Like when Nicodemus came to him, he made time for him. And I didn't write down the whole thing. But when Jesus said, let me tell you the truth, like listen, like pay attention, those are the things that I highlighted. So in John 3, 3, Jesus is talking, you know, Nicodemus is like, you know, I know you're from God. I recognize you're from God. Only you, a person from God, can do what you're doing. And so Jesus begins to explain. He says, let me tell you the solemn truth. Like that means listen carefully, right? This is, pay attention. 
unless someone has been born from above, they won't be able to see God's kingdom. And Nicodemus is like, huh? <laughs> what do you mean by this? Why this is a born thing, right? And so Jesus goes on and he says, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Unless someone is born from water and spirit, they can't enter God's kingdom. You must be born from above. And Nicodemus is like, huh? What? Okay. And so I love how, um, you know, he goes on to explain. He's like, the wind blows where it wants to. He's like, there's this new way of doing things. And the wind blows where it wants to. He's talking about the spirit. And you hear the sound it makes, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. And what, that's what it's like when someone who is born of the spirit. That's like what it's like with someone who's born in the spirit. And Nicodemus is like taking it in, but he's not really, you know, it's hard to understand, right? And so Jesus goes on. And you got to understand, like, if Nicodemus, he's the leader of the leaders, he's part of the Sanhedrin, he would have acted like the judge in his room. And I love, in his city, village, or whatever, area. And I love how, you know, Jesus kind of speaks in his language, right? And so he tells them this, I'm telling you the solemn truth. We're talking about things we know about, and we're giving evidence about the things that we've seen. But you, you won't admit our evidence. You won't receive it. You won't believe it. These things are happening. And I don't blame Nicodemus, right? He grew up his whole life learning the law. He studied it. This is his expertise. These are the things that he knows that he's proud about, right? And the law is like, do this or don't do this. It's organized. It's orderly. It's black and white. You know if you're good or bad. You know if you're in or out. And here Jesus is explaining that God is doing something new. That, yeah, you were born into this family, and in Judaism, they would know that being born into a family was important, and whose family you were born into. It was so important that you were part of Abraham's family, right? Because you would receive the blessing of God, and you'd be able to bless others. And, and so this whole idea of being born into a family is so important. And so, you know, Jesus is trying to explain that God is doing something new, that there's a new family where anyone and everyone is included, and for Nicodemus to understand this is, is totally hard. I can totally understand why he'd be like, what? Like, it's like, I have to open my mind and think differently. Like, what's going on? This is, this is my whole life. This is what I built my career on. What? You know, what? But Jesus is explaining the reality of what's going on. It's like, you're, you're a leader. You're a religious leader. But this is the truth that God is doing something new. That God is making, he's inviting everybody. And so the first step in the process of killing our pride is killing requires truth. That we need to know the reality of what's going on. We need to know the truth of the situation, the truth of who we are. And then Nicodemus, I mean, uh, Jesus goes on. Now Nicodemus would have known the law, right? I mean, he would have known the Old Testament. He would have known the story of Moses. And I love how Jesus is like, okay, let me tell you this with a story of Moses. God used Moses, right, to, to free the Israelites, his people, from slavery, from, from Egypt, right? And, and he freed them, and they were wandering in the desert, but then they were getting kind of frustrated and tired of living in the desert. And so they started to grumble against Moses. And they're like, oh, you know, they're getting really angry. And so God, in his discipline, he sends snakes 
poisonous snakes that kill many of the Israelites. But in his grace, he's like, okay, Moses, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make a serpent out of bronze, and I want you to put it on a pole, and I want you to lift that pole high. And whoever looks up and sees that pole, they will live. Okay, so that's what Nicodemus knows. And so when he talks to, um, when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, he says this. He says, so just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert... In the same way, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This is how much God loved the world. Enough to give his only special son. That every Good thing everybody must be one of those words. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll fix that on the video. Okay. <laughs> the special son that everyone who believes in him should not be lost but should have eternal life. After all, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world could be saved by him. You see, Jesus explained that, you know, you don't know this, because it's, you know, but I'm the Son of Man, and I'm the one who's going to be lifted up, and I do this. It's because I, God did this because he loves you. Because he sees who you are. He sees the pride and the evil inside of us. And he says, I love you and despite all that. And I'm going to do this for you. I see the real you, the true you, and I love you and I accept you. And so there's the process, you know, of killing it. It requires the truth, the reality of, of where we are. But it also requires true love, the kind of love that will forego our right to be right, or to forego our desires for the sake and the best, for the best of the other person. He did this so we could have life, so we won't be bound by our sin and our pride. And then it requires truth, and it requires true love, but that's not enough. It requires time. In John 7, we see this, this whole process of like, you know, he, Nicodemus had this encounter with Jesus, and then he goes on with his life. And, and as time goes on, as Jesus' ministry goes on, the Pharisees get really, like, angry, and they're unhappy with him because he's, he's, like, um, threatening their authority and their power and their pride. And so they want to get him, right? They want to arrest him. And so they, like, try and find him because they want to arrest him. And then they, they can't find him, and they come back, and they're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And all the Pharisees got together. And I, I don't think Nicodemus was the type of person who was impulsive, that said things, you know, just kind of out, and, ooh, I can't believe I said that. He seems, you know, like very intentional, right? If you're a judge, you have to be intentional, and you have to be very, you know, he likes the order, and he likes the organization. And, and so here, if you can imagine, just this angry group of Pharisees who are just, who want to get Jesus. And if you can imagine Nicodemus speaking out, they can't find him. And he's like, you know, you guys, the law says that we should talk to this person before we arrest them. Like we need to bring Jesus in and talk to him. And I can imagine that this was so 
hard. I mean, we don't know, but I can imagine that with your, with your peers and your colleagues, and they're angry, and they're trying to do something, it might have been hard, and he's like, should I say something? But he knows in his heart that there's, he needs to say something. He knows. He had this conversation with Jesus. He knows, like, God is doing something. He doesn't understand it, and he knows the Spirit's moving, and he, he experienced Jesus's love in, in, in their conversation. He knows that Jesus is different, and so he's like, I gotta say something, and he kind of knew in his heart to, he needed to say something, and so he did. He said it in front of them, and it didn't do any good. They ignored him. They're like, no, we gotta do. But I can imagine that for Nicodemus that that was a hard thing that he had to do, but he did it. And then, you know, we know, like, as we enter into Holy Week, that, that Jesus continued his ministry, that, you know, he was arrested, and that he um, was beat, and he was nailed to the cross, and, and he died. And the next time that we see Nicodemus and John is when, you know, at his burial, when his friend, Joseph, is like, let's bury him. And Joseph of Arimathea, he... he He's, a, he's part of the Sanhedrin too, part of the leaders. And together, Joseph says, okay, I'm going to give my family's tomb to him. I'm going to give my tomb to him. And Nicodemus helps him. And he brings 75 pounds worth of spices for Jesus' burial. That was a lot. When people probably saw him bringing the 75 pounds, which he probably wasn't carrying himself, but you know what I mean, that they probably thought, wow, he's loaded. But then they thought, wow, what does this mean? That he would be willing to humbly give just such a generous gift to Jesus. And that he would bury, that he, he wouldn't care who saw, but that he would bury Jesus in the tomb. And so, you know, this process of killing it, it requires truth. It requires true love because it's the true love that gives us the strength to face our problems and the reality of what's going on. But it also requires time, that it just doesn't happen overnight. We would love for it to happen overnight. But change and healing and freedom and life, it takes time. And we see Nicodemus go through that process. Um, Henry Nouwen says it just beautifully um, in this quote. He says, his divine, talking about God, his divine compassion makes it possible for us to face our sinful selves because it transforms our broken human condition from a cause of despair into a source of hope. You know, Christ, as we enter into Holy Week, we know that he took on the effects of pride on the cross and that he made a way for us, you know, to, to have life. But our pride is so deep within us that we need to be involved in the process too. And just the acknowledgement that you have pride is huge, right? Just as I was like, I have pride, I don't even want to stand up. Just for me to even say that to myself and to my friend is huge. And for me to stand up and be like, okay, I'm a friend, not everyone's going to see, is huge. For Nicodemus to go to visit Jesus as a Pharisee, is huge. But we all need to take that first step. And so we wanted to give you kind of this opportunity to take this first step. And if you've already been in the process, to just take another step. Where you can, um, maybe God has been speaking to you these past few weeks about your pride, or, or we're going to give you space to think about it today if you haven't had the time or the space to do that. 
And so I'm gonna ask the ushers to, to pass out cards, index cards, and a pen if you need it. But I feel like God is inviting us to, to let him in and to let others in and experience more of his love and grace. And so what we'll do is I'll give you space to write down maybe, you know, something that you, you've experienced. I know as I, was, um, as I was preparing for this message and listening to Katja's message before, I was like, Lord, what's, what's my pride? And um, as Katz mentioned before, I'm going on my sabbatical next week. And I'm super excited because I'm going to this week-long leadership conference. And it's with one of my favorite authors. And um, he works with a lot of, like, CEOs of big companies. And I'm just excited to be around him and to learn from him and to grow. Um, But as I I was thinking about... I don't even think I was sitting in silence and, you know, candles. And I think I was just going about my day. And I felt this spirit tell me, um, Lori, you know, you're excited about going to this conference, this leadership conference, with this well-known leader of leaders. But he said, you want to go to this. There's a part of you that wants to go to this leadership conference to know that you're good enough that you are looking to him to give you affirmation that you're a good leader and validation. And I think that if my leadership is about me wanting to be good enough and feeling like I'm good enough, then I'm shutting myself in, right? I am focusing on myself and I'm shutting God and others out. I'm so worried about me, and am I good enough? And will people think I'm good enough? And I'm shutting others, God, and others out, and I'm not allowing him to just pour, you know, allowing him to do what he needs to do, or I'm I'm not letting love in, or knowing that my value comes from being a child of God, not in what I do. And so I thought, thank you, Jesus, for telling me this. Because I would have gone to that whole, you know, that whole week. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Is he saying things that I believe in? And I would just been just focused on that. But now that I know the truth and I know that he loves me and I am a child of God, I can go to this conference and I could just hear, I could let the people, the experts in. And I can let others in, you know, the people who are praying for me or my friends. And I can learn and grow. I can actually learn and grow because I'm not so worried about wondering if I'm good enough. But I'll be able to see the reality of who I am. And so, you know, that's if it was me or when I do this, that's what I'm going to write down. And so I really want to invite you to, to take some time to... Um, we're gonna, I'm going to play a recording of a, mu- of a song, and just during that recording time, write down what you want to do or, you know, your pride or what the Lord has been speaking to you about. And then if you don't want to come forward or if you can't come forward, if you can't nail something to the cross, then just raise your card, and one of the ushers will come and they'll do it for you. Yeah. Or Paul or Marla will do it for you. Um, if you want to bring a friend, like I had my friend at camp, then just be like, come on, let's go, let's do it together. Then go ahead and do that. If you feel like that's something you want to do by yourself, 
then feel free to do that. And if you feel like I'm not going to do that, then that is fine too. No one is going to know. It's going to be like no one's going to know the struggle that's inside of you. This is between you and God. And so we'll just go ahead and we'll spend a few minutes doing that. Let's, let's pray.